hands of ghosts. Rain has showered its arrows of silver upon me, seeking my heart. Winds have roared and tossed me. Music in long blue waves of sound has borne me a helpless weed to shores of unthought silence. Time above me, within me, crashed its gongs with terrible warning, sifting the dust of death. That's good. And here I lie. Blow now your horns of glory harshly over my flesh, you trees, you waters. You stars and suns, Canopus, Danib, Regal, let me as I lie down here in this dust, hear far off your whispered salutation. Roar now above my decaying flesh, you winds. Whirl out your earth sense over this body. Tell me of ferns and stagnant pools, wild roses, hillsides. Anoint me, rain. Let crash your silver arrows on this hard flesh. I am the one who named you. I lived in you, and now I die in you. I, your son, your daughter, treader of music, lie broken, conquered. Let me not fall in silence. I, the restless one, the circler of circles, herdsman and roper of stars, who could not capture the secret of self. I, who was tyrant to weaklings, striker of children, destroyer of women, corrupter of innocent dreamers and laugher at beauty. I, too easily brought to tears and weakness by music, baffled and broken by love, the helpless beholder of the war in my heart, of desire with desire, the struggle of hatred with love, terror with hunger. I, who laughed without knowing the cause of my laughter, who grew without wishing to grow, a servant to my own body, loved without reason the laughter and flesh of a woman, enduring such torments to find her. I, who at last grow weaker, struggle more feebly, relent in my purpose, choose for my triumph an easier end, look backward at earlier conquests, all caught in the web, cry out in a sudden and empty despair to tell us die. Pity me now, I who was arrogant beg you. Tell me as I lie down that I was courageous. Blow horns of victory now as I reel and am vanquished. Shatter the sky with trumpets above my grave. Look, this flesh, how it crumbles to dust and is blown. These bones, how they grind in the granite of frost and are nothing. The skull, how it yawns for a flicker of time in the darkness, yet laughs not and sees not. It is crushed by a hammer of sunlight, and the hands are destroyed. Press down through the leaves of the jasmine, dig through the interlaced roots, never more will you find me. I was no better than dust, yet you cannot replace me. Take the soft dust in your hand. Does it stir? Does it sing? Has it lips and a heart? Does it open its eyes to the sun? Does it run? Does it dream? Does it burn with a secret or tremble in terror of death or ache with tremendous decisions? Listen, it says, I lean by the river. The willows are yellowed with bud. 
white clouds roar up from the south and darken the ripples, but they cannot darken my heart, nor the face like a star in my heart. Rain falls on the water and pelts it and rings it with silver. The willow trees glisten, the sparrows chirp under the eaves, but the face in my heart is a secret of music. I wait in the rain and am silent. Listen again, it says, I have worked, I am tired. The pencil dulls in my hand. I see through the window walls upon walls of windows with faces behind them. Smoke floating up to the sky and ascension of seagulls. I am tired. I have struggled in vain. My decision was fruitless. Why then do I wait with darkness so easy at hand? But tomorrow, perhaps... I will wait and endure till tomorrow. So British. Oh, yeah. Or again, it is dark, the decision is made. I am vanquished by terror of life. The walls mount slowly about me in coldness. I had not the courage. I was forsaken. I cried out, was answered by silence. To tell us die. Hear how it babbles. Blow the dust out of your hand with its voices and visions. Tread on it, forget it, turn homeward with dreams in your brain. This, then, is the humble, the nameless, the lover, the husband and father, the struggler with shadows, the one who went down under shoutings of chaos, the weakling who cried his forsaken like Christ on the darkening hilltop. This, then, is the one who implores as he dwindles to silence, a fanfare of glory, and which of us dares to deny him? It's pretty intense, hey? Absolutely. Like, yeah. I don't know if you can get a, a, I don't know if you're going to get a better home for your money. Did you ever realize no, while we you did were, not. while you were, okay, <laughs> so now we're, now we're on a podcast. Yep, we are indeed. And um, we're also broadcasting live, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, to all zero people. Mm. To all zero people? <laughs> well, that that was cool, because it what? reminded me of Luke Skywalker. Did it? Well, that's appropriate, because I wanted to talk about the whole nature of the fallen adepthood. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which Star Wars has a real metaphor for, right? Star Wars does have a real metaphor for the whole idea of the fallen adept. So we have this. So the question is, mm-hmm. what are what are fallen adepts? Well, depends which tradition. You Can come you even from. see with your hood that low? Nope. <laughs> but I don't need my hood. Here we go. Hmm. I'm just getting into a sort of fallen adept mode with my Sith hood on. You know? Fallen adept mode. So uh, there's mystery schools, there's esoteric orders, hmm. magical orders, Wiccan pagans, Druid groves, hmm. Anglican churches, Catholic churches, Presbyterian mm-hmm. churches, United churches, United Methodist churches, Baptist churches, Evangelical churches, Baptist hmm. Evangelical churches, Evangelical Baptist churches. First Church of Latter-day Saints, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, 
the whole um, old Catholic movement. We got all like a thousand different orders from the old Catholic movement. Like, what do we do with all of them? And all of these groups seem to, at mm. different times, exile people. That's true. And demonize them. But why don't they exile and demonize the pedophile priests? You know, every time you bang, it vibrates. It vibrates. I, I will stop vibrating. <laughs> but it's very emphatic. So if all these mystical orders and mainstream religions are exiling and cast out and mm. casting people out, why don't they cast out the pedophile priests? That is a very good question. But I think that comes to the nature of it, doesn't it? The nature of evil seems to be that it survives and that the people who are trying not to be evil either get kicked out or um, leave or disappear or something. So the nature of real evil is it, it seems to, you know, it's like that saying, the luck of the devil, isn't it? it sort of somehow continues. The luck so, of the devil. I've never actually heard of the luck of the devil. Oh, it's something we have in England. We sort of say, <laughs> he has the luck of the devil. <laughs> <laughs> the luck of the devil in England? <laughs> yeah. But it's what, sort of, what's he look like? What does the luck of the devil look like? Is he like... What's the luck of the devil? I've heard of divilment in Ireland. Divilment, once a lad's up to divilment. That is true. Yeah, I've heard that too. Well, that just means he's going around shagging a lot of girls. Oh, does it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. He's like, oh, I'm just about me divilment, you know. I'm about me divilment. About me divilment. So like, that means he's like, you know, just spreading STDs. Oh, I thought it meant he was stealing hot cross buns from the bakery. Yeah, that's what the Irish want you to think. Ah, okay. That's not that then. But yeah, back to the priests, I think they, they seem to get away with it for some reason. And there's like a conspiracy to keep it all hidden. And now they've elected St. Francis, sorry, Pope Francis, not St. Francis. Pope Francis. They've elected Pope Francis. We're on YouTube mainly, but we're also mm. here. And they've elected him to counteract uh, Pope Cardinal Fascist Ratzinger. That's right. Yeah. And the Pope before him was a, became a saint, right? Pope St. John Paul. You know what? I was part of, in those days, this is 20 years ago, I was part of that <clears throat> radical, mm. ultra-conservative Catholic movement. I was a big-time part of that. Really? Like, I was preaching against homosexuals. Really? Yeah. Wow. I was, like, anti-abortion. I was all that shit with the babies and the fetuses. Like, fucking don't let them kill our babies. Dude, I had a massive transformation going through the Golden Dawn grades and, like, getting transformed mm. through the hermetic school into a more evolved frame of mind. Mm -hmm. And that's evolved isn't going from conservative to new age. Or evolved is just going from dumbass to... <laughs> Right. Considerate, logical, mm. rational human egalitarianism. Right. Now, mm. that was a big shift for me. For other people, that was like, yo, I just, I just was never an asshole. And I'm like, yeah, okay, you were never an asshole. I had a brief period where I was an asshole. I'm not anymore. Mm. Unless you like are super anti-gay, and if you're anti, can you know? Then, then, then I would be an asshole because I think who gives a fuck what people do in the bedroom? I guess the. The church probably think you're an asshole for leaving and changing into a non-asshole. Do you know what? The Roman Catholic Church still considers me a Catholic person who's ordained. Mm. Even though I went Anglo-Catholic, which is Anglican, Episcopalian slash Church of Ireland. Mm. Even though I went that way, the Roman Catholic Church still considers me an ordained Catholic person. So if I showed up to a Roman Catholic bishop mm. with a wife... As an Anglican priest, and said, "Yo, I was wrong, 
Anglicanism is mm. bullshit, and I want to be Roman Roman Catholic now. They would reassign me as a Roman Catholic priest with a wife. Oh, you have these all throughout. Right? Yeah, they yeah, yeah, do. They've right. never stopped doing that. <laughs> they've never stopped doing that. Mm. That is a thing. The yeah. Roman Catholic Church does not mm. really care about married clergy. They really don't. That that's, is like so very low on their totem pole. Interesting. No, it's very low on their totem pole. Right. They only started enforcing Catholic celibacy during the Counter Reformation when the Lutherans and the Calvinists mm. were saying, "Look, you're hypocrites." You've got these married priests. Oh, but they're not wives; they're concubines. And Saint Thomas Aquinas' his argument was only like not half serious. Like I mean, this basic right, shit. I didn't know <laughs> oh well, I know. I, We're a Catholic too, man. So we can be. Once you're a Catholic, you're always a Catholic, right? Isn't that what they say? That is one <laughs> of those things. Like you know, once. Mm. Oh my God! There's so many esoteric order occult parallels that I. I can't even talk about them. So, okay, we're talking about the theme is fallen adaptation. Yep. Mm-hmm. So what do you think on that? No, no, that that's my question. Oh, all right. question. So what do I think on that? <laughs> You're currently a chief adept of a temple and a major player at a major international order that is reputable and not full of douchebags. So what do you have to say about that? Like, talk. There, there goes my secrecy. <laughs> um well, I guess it's it depends on the order, you know, but I think there are certain orders that use tactics like that to control and gain power. So, you know, at some point they might kind of kick somebody out and then say, oh, you're a fallen adept. And that's like a way of um, controlling other people in that group. And it kind of fits with cult mentality, doesn't it? It's kind of like a sort of we demonize way to people. Kind of, uh, <laughs> we demonize them. We demonize people. We demonize people. Do, do, do. Push down. Oh, there you go. So, no. Okay, so, like, in my time, Mm. like, 96 to 2003, someone would would move on with their life, and it was like they're fucking evil. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you talk to them, you'll become evil. Like, I was told... That extent? Really? When Martin, who's the Lucy's guy now... When he's separated, my mom and sister kept in communication with him. Mm. And I was told that if I didn't cut off my mother and sister from my life entirely, I would be expelled. Seriously. That's some That's hardcore culture. Hardcore shit. Stuff. That's, That's hardcore culture, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. I was like, this is fucked up. Absolutely. I had to call my mom crying on the phone. Don't talk to Martin anymore. Hmm. Even though he's with Zalewski, he's an evil piece of shit. And this is like 10 years before my sister accused wow. him of sexual assault. Oh, yeah. But we won't talk about that now, right? I didn't. I don't know any of these things. But well, yeah. yeah you know. This is another side of history. Well, that was long after ICL. Mm. Unlike Edward's podcast on Esteriner, we don't bleep here. Mm. There's no bleeping. This is, this is a... This is straight up. Straight up. <laughs> it sounds like it. My goodness. It's got to be straight up. Oh, come on. Like, because no yeah, one cares. Yeah. It's no, not like fucking true. law enforcement agencies give a shit about any of this stuff. But at the, therefore... Mm. I feel like if we're not real, why should people listen to us? It's good to be genuine. Yeah, it's good, it's good to be genuine. But we might end up as fallen adults. <laughs> I've been falling for so long, I don't know how to get up. Yeah, but you never really left anyway. You That's just... an interesting fun fact. So how do you become a fallen adept? Mm-hmm. What if you never left or never were expelled or okay. never did nothing wrong except for like try to charge members mm. to 
pay candle fees. I mean, but you gotta pay for candles. candle fees. Dude, we were spending like four hundred dollars a month on candles. I of course I had to charge them for candles. <laughs> Yeah. 100, 150 people, 24-7 service in Gastown, Vancouver. Right. The temple's running 24-7. Like, two temples, two separate temples running 24-7 nonstop. That's a lot of candles. That's a lot of candles. That's a hell of a lot of candles. Yeah, so I was like, wow. let's do what we do in Bujinkan and just charge them 40 bucks, 50 bucks a month each. Yeah. And everyone was fine with that except for the honored philosophy. Oh, really? The honored philosophy, of course, said, not only do we not want to pay because we're honored, mm. as if honored is a statement of hmm. privilege and not responsibility. Right. They said, we don't want to even do ritual work anymore or even attract new members or teach classes. And it's like, why are you here? Why don't you join Amwork? Go join Amwork. Go join Amwork. Amwork, Amwork will have you. Well, they're the true Rosicrucians, aren't they? They're the yeah. true Rosicrucians. Anyone else is going to be sued for using that term. It's a true story. True story. Well, I think it's this, there's the other dimension, which the, the word fallen is supposed to align it with, like, the fallen angels or something, isn't it? It's supposed to be some kind of use of that as a derogatory form of speech or something. Do you reckon? Is that why they use the word fallen? I mean, I don't know why else. Yeah, of course. Right. It's catchy. So, it's catchy. That's why I named this new podcast after it. Yeah, you did. Catchy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Maybe it's important to own the fallen nature of your soul, brother. Own it. Own that fallen state. <laughs> because you're not really fallen. If you didn't leave the order. We were going to do this earlier, but all of a sudden it. he got a phone call and had to do like three, four hours of healing work. Yeah, How many people's lives get interrupted by a phone call like that leads to again. three or four hours of healing work they have to do? They're just doing, it's like, drop everything. I'm doing rituals right now. I'm doing magical rituals right now. Fuck all y'all. That's what's happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go watch music videos of Halsey in, okay, in the, in the, doing, in the yeah. courtyard. That's what I did. That's what I did. And sometimes well, it's St. Patrick's Day, so I had to do something. With Jesus. Well, you have to do it when Jesus, Jesus, when the when the energies are flowing, you have to go and do it. And like the healing I was doing was there was a need for it. You know, there's a real, real major need. The whole world needs healing. So, um, well, it does, yeah. But you know, so um, we got someone talking to us. Yeah, who's that? It's interesting hearing your guys' paths into these things. I can relate to a degree mm. from what you've talked about. At Friday, do any of your books cover your path into being where you are now? Yes, especially my biography, which is one of the reasons so many are, people are threatening to kill me if I release it. What's ironic is I released it a while ago, but it was a unfinished manuscript version, hmm. and that led to people like David Griffin, Zinke hmm. Poo, Voldemort. And Daniel mm. Klein, they all just, they have enough personal information on me. I mean, when they broke in my apartment, they stole a birth certificate, social insurance number, mm. name change documents that my mom did when she was, you know, going through a divorce and I was underage and she changed my names a whole bunch of times because of numerology. Cabalarian numerology, not Kabbalistic numerology. Very different. The name Eleguin currently exists in Cabalarian writings 
solely because of me. And that's all in my autobiography. Thing. Really? But anyway, yeah, oh yeah, that stuff's all there. Mm. You can you can read about it. Anyway, the cab the 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 biography's all coming out, and uh, that's going to be good. It's not going to be good. No one should read my biography, man. So Dude, my bio—it's like pulling teeth. <laughs> Don't do it. Like it's—I'm putting out for like. Don't buy this book. Posterity, man. Yeah. I was supposed to be like dead three years ago just from genetic diseases alone three autoimmune diseases you're meant to be dead by now you don't you're meant to be done now you don't want to read about it but if you want to find out about some of the douchebag things that uh magical leaders can do mm. well but it's not even about that it's also about mainstream religious political corporate institutions anytime human beings get together they do fucked up shit let's leave it at that <laughs> yeah it's the whole um, eloquent story. But, you know, if we tell people not to buy it, then they'll buy it. So don't buy it. Don't buy anything. Just email me. We'll go it's for drinks and I'll give it to you for free. That should not be revealed. Yeah, look at that shit, dude. Look at that. What do you think of that? That looks good. Can we save that? What do you mean, can we save that? It's it's like, like look at look at that shit. Look at how much detail there is there. My goodness, it's your whole timeline. Yeah, it's, look at that. Look at like look at there. Look at the high school timeline. Grade nine. Grade nine, ninety five to ninety six. Age fourteen to fifteen. Midsummer ritual. Summer. Golden dawn orientation. Grade ten, ninety six, ninety seven. Age fifteen, sixteen. November fifteenth. Zero zero and Scorpio one ten in Taurus. Grade 11, 97, 98, age 16, 17, 2, 9 in Libra, 3, 8 in Pisces. Grade 12, 98, 99, age 17, 18, 4 equals 7, philosophers at Equinox, Portal at Easter. So by 17, Caught, you were in Portal. By, no, by 18, I was in Portal, man. Wow. By 18, I was in Portal. And I sounded like a Victorian poet 24-7. I talked like a Victorian poet 24-7. All I ever talked about was like... It sounded like I was speaking out of a fucking Alephis Levy novel. Really? Dude, and you hit that cell phone? You hit that cell phone like a millennial, baby. I know. Yeah, man. I am a millennial. Dude, you're a heart. fucking millennial at heart. <laughs> then there's college. First year, Capilano College, 99, 18, 19. Dropped out, lived in Gastown at the Temple, age 19, 20. Five, six, Christmas, zero, zero in the year 2000. Second year, Corpus Christi College. First year, course VST. O two. That's that amazing. Was, you became an adept at age twenty. I mean, it's uh, just, nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah, wow. nineteen. It's pretty good going. Yeah, only three days in the box, baby. First year VST. Yeah, then it just goes on. Oh, then then second year schism, separation from wife, Roman Catholic to Anglican. Twenty two, twenty three. Final year Vancouver School of Theology. O five, O four. Forms band Damita. Graduate with MDiv. Age twenty three, twenty four. Brother, then, why why did you um there you go. scroll up again a second? Why did you go Anglican? Because I wasn't called a celibacy. I was I wanted to be a, a Catholic Roman Catholic deacon. Oh, right. I wanted to be a Roman Catholic deacon. Hmm. The they they encouraged me to become a Roman Catholic deacon. And then halfway through education, they said we aren't actually ordaining married deacons. Just because Vatican II said we could uh, doesn't mean we will. Why don't you become an Anglican? Because the Roman Catholic bishop, mm. Archbishop yeah. Adam Exner, said, "You are clearly called to ordination. 
Right. But you're also called to marriage. Mm. And the Roman Catholic Church isn't the place for you at this time. So you can't. So why don't you talk to your bishop and see if there's room for you in the Anglican Church? And he said, why don't you read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity? So I read Mere Christianity Mm. and I was like, oh shit, yeah. I'm going to. It's like, do what works for you. C.S. Lewis was like, it doesn't matter what denomination you are. It doesn't even matter if you believe in Christ. It doesn't matter what your religion is. It's just like, be sure as a human being, you do what works for you. Because will. being a good person, do what thou wilt. Yeah, it sounds like that. Do what thou wilt, motherfuckers. <laughs> Find your true will as a priest. Have, did, did you hear about Father John Corrupy talking about fallen priests? No. Um, Father John Corrupy did a whole, he was like famous, he was on uh, Catholic TV all the time, he was like doing some absolutely outstanding, he's the reason I, I became Catholic, because he gave these incredible talks, you know, um, but the problem is later on, somehow he fell and they threw him out, but well, I wonder if he uncovered some stuff, you know, and then he wasn't, he was persona non grata, so I'm not sure, so he had to stop it all, but he was in America and he was in the Order of Preachers. And he'd had a really tough life um, in many ways, and then he became a priest. So, wow. Um, and then he would speak from his heart. He's some really amazing um, speeches, you know. Actually not boring, not overly focused on academic religiosity, I suppose. Anyway, before I bore everyone, I'll stop. That's all right. No one's bored. <laughs> Check it out. This is how the, the first draft starts. I have three drafts, okay, and I, I have to compile out. them. You can read it. I was a fat, depressed, ugly goth and got nearly straight F's in school. That's a great opener. <laughs> Just read it. It's first draft. There was no way I could know I would one day become one of the leading magicians in one of the most famous schools of magic in modern history. I had no precognition that nearly all my goals and dreams in life would come true, that I would teach hundreds of people the arcane arts, that I would run possibly the largest Golden Dawn Temple in a hundred years, that I would transform from an atheist and skeptic into someone who witnessed mysteries most humans do not believe exist. I mean, that's the thing about being in an order, is you witness these mysteries, you actually feel it and see it. And I think that's one of the most important things. Like Iamblichus says, you have to experience magic. Let's continue. Heuristics. And, yeah, right. And after all of this, climbing to the heights of Mount Abiegnus, it would all fall apart. I would be left a lone magician in a rubble of a schism, that ruined some people's lives, and having learned very, learned every tool of the arcane arts I could imagine, and having every secret of the GD order at my disposal, I would be actually left alone. No friends, no wife, no clear path before me. I have not cast a spell since then. Wow. That's the history summed up in... I wrote that bit, that this whole chunk was written in 2007. Okay. During a, well, I was. Yeah, because you're now. The weekends I would just get drunk and write for three days straight. Oh, right. Because I was doing, working for a game entertainment company and I would just work my ass off, get 10 grand a a month. Mm -hmm. And then on the weekends I would just drink and write like stream of consciousness. And this came Mm -hmm. out of one of those weekends, as well as my erotic novel, The Death of Mr. Darcy. 
Well, the title kind of says it is a, a mixture of Hindu meditation, divorce, and Dungeons and Dragons. So, like, <laughs> how do you fit all those together? Yeah, but, so before all that, when I was still young and depressed, before the future of magic, secret rituals, ceremonies of Egyptian gods, and Enochian angels had unveiled itself to me, I had little hope that anything good would come into my life. The biggest joy I got out of my week was role playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends. They were also geeks, happier geeks, hmm. but still geeks. Sometimes I had run. I would run a knife along my forearm and imagine sinking it in, ending all my suffering, my fatness, my shitty life. My mother was just as unhappy as me. Hmm. She and my sister consoled themselves with food. We were all overweight. My dad didn't love me. Well, not enough to let me be a part of the new family he'd started with Rob and his new, thin, educated wife. He had traded up from my obese astrologer mother and was very happy about it. Mm. Even when he and his new wife wanted him, even when his new wife wanted him to distance himself from his old kids, he seemed fine with that. He tried to stay involved for a while, playing basketball with me once a week and taking me out for dinner, but eventually that ended, and I realized... It had ended when he took me to McDonald's drive through for my birthday dinner one year. We ate in the car, and then he took me home. Wow. His new life asked him to abandon us, his kids, and he did. He and Robin were a new family, and we have new kids, and they did. Wow. I was left without a father and a pathological abandonment issues. We better, can I just press pause, because I think we're getting some comments here. Yeah, yeah, no, they're, they're just talking got- shit. <laughs> we, we respect you <laughs> yeah man this is the podcast oh, right. we're live streaming the podcast right now motherfuckers oh yeah <laughs> yeah okay you read some of my biography it's weird to hear some of the British accent read my biography pathological abandonment issues this is pathological <laughs> abandonment issues we left off we left off at pathological the abandonment, abandonment issues. issues well yeah you know I'm a therapist I can, I can spot these things he is a therapist kind of priest therapist priest therapist Bishop, priest, priest, therapist, bishop. Magician. This is only mentioned because it will become a crucial element in the schism. I'm going to do it in a Professor Snape voice. Do what thou will. In the schism of a Golden Dawn Temple, Potter, I grew up an atheist. Not actively, but passively, with parents involved in transcendental meditation. Since the 60s, Potter. It sounds better with your normal accent. All right. God is not a topic of discussion. Brief interlude while Prada R.C. just uh, exits the room for a second. Um, Anyway, I'll I'll continue because I'm I'm hoping it's of interest to you. Uh, That didn't stop us from having regular meditation time every day in our house. I thought it was something all families in the suburbs did. It was a surprise to find I was wrong. One day at a friend's house, when little Tommy said he didn't know what I was talking about when I asked if we had to stop playtime to meditate. Even six-year-olds can live in very different worlds from each other. When we were children, my little sister Haley and I would sit on our parents' laps as they practiced the flying mantra taught in the school of Hindu meditation taught by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. They would bounce up and down in the lotus position, we would fall off their laps, roll around, digging, giggling, sorry, trade parents, and then hop back to wait for the next bounce. As a child, it was never clear that 
this was levitating. And while they never stayed in the air floating, they certainly bounced surprisingly high. One father, excuse the sound effects in the background. <laughs> uh, one, our father being fit while our mother was overweight. We eventually learned that the basics of TM. We'd sit quietly twice a day and repeat our secret mantra word internally for as many minutes as we were old. Though we never learned the 21 advanced techniques which our parents knew, that took a long time and cost a lot of money. Though I was fascinated when I found out that in addition to levitating, invisibility... Ooh, invisibility. Let's scroll down and see what that was about. Where's the, uh, the thing? Yeah, I don't go into like my, my radical hatred of transcendental meditating here. I need to get onto invisibility because that's quite cool. I might take up TM now. Do we have ritual eye? Oh, right. Um, right. Yeah. In addition to levitating, invisibility, increased strength, telepathy, and precognition were included in the powers of transcendental meditation imbued. I took the information like most young boys would from their fathers with simple belief, and I hope he wasn't lying just for fun. That was while on a walk through... Uh, how do we scroll that? Sorry. That was while on a walk through the Lynn Canyon headwaters, a memory vis vivid to this day. Between the ages of 10 and 12, my parents separated, then divorced. In those years, an amicable separation turned into a tense child-sharing routine until my father met another woman who made it clear... She wanted him to have nothing to do with us. So our relationship to our father more or less vanished for the next 10 years, with some exceptions, including less than adequate financial support. Can we carry on? Yeah. Like most young boys thrown on the street by their dads, I hated and wanted to kill him. Yeah, I was literally strong. Like, I was like 11 yeah. years old, and he's just like, you're packing up your bags tonight and going on the street. My God. You know, so I'm like on the street with a bag and I'm like, where do I go? So I said, well, I just met this new guy I was playing Dungeons and Dragons with. So I went up the street about 40, 50 blocks. It took me like two hours with my bag and get to his house. And that's where I crashed that night. And then the next wow. day he called my mom and get this. So I just played Dungeons and Dragons with this young 10 year old kid. I was nine. He was hmm. 10. His name was Daniel Klein. Oh. Yeah. And I call my mom from his house the next day, and she's like, well, we live at St. Mary's in Osborne. And he's like, well, I live at St. Mary's in Osborne. She's like, we're in the big white mansion next to his house. Oh. And it was run by the OTO, the Ordo Tempuli Orientis, and they were trafficking large amounts of cocaine, large amounts of cocaine through that house. So from age 10 to 11, uh, 10, 11 to 12... It's vague because it was like wow. over those two years, but it was like a nine-month period. Oh, my God. I just had to um, revert to that. That was quite cool. Wow. So we were, we were, I was then moved, just went next door from Daniel Klein's house. <clears throat> mm. Now, he's the guy, of course, who screwed over Frater Yeshi's order. Wow. In case you guys really? know what the Frater Yeshi yeah. protege oh, of mine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love him. Yeah, Yeshi's a debt match. Everyone knows that. So yeah, so that was that was a weird thing. So I'm all of a sudden in this house full of rooms I can't go in because of ritual magic. Mm. Some rooms I can't go in because there's 
piles of cocaine, wow. and I'm 11 years old. And I could go back to my dad's house, but then his wife would have him beat me. So I had very oh, limited shit. options. Wow, man. You had some childhood. Shit. Continue. I can't really believe we're reading this shit. But St. Paddy's Day, and I've already played a show and had a few drinks, so why St. not? St. Paddy's Day! We're doing a kickoff of my new friend oh. and me talking shit. Someone's messaged me to say, where's the link for your podcast? I, I would like to see it. Anchor.fm forward slash magic with a K because fuck Aleister Crowley. Anchor. Is this the. <laughs> fuck Aleister Crowley. that one doing? Code word. Fuck Aleister Crowley. You know, <laughs> who doesn't love him? Uncle Al, give me some shrooms. What's what's that on? That um, Which of your uh, pages is on? We're on Friday RC and we're on YouTube. We're on Friday RC and we're on YouTube. British people. I just have to send this message to someone because she's asking where we are. Okay, so let's continue. Can we carry on reading? We're also on YouTube. We are also on YouTube. Hey, YouTube. Hey. Um, it's, uh... This Yo, that's lady. cool. Yeah, she's going to watch us. Anyone can watch us. Yeah, good. So it's so e- they should all just go to my fucking YouTube page. <laughs> yeah, if you want to see us. So shall we? Read? I'm, s- I'm the only person with like two thousand videos and less than a hundred subscribers. Really? Wow. <laughs> smash some likes, guys! If you're watching this, go to YouTube and smash some. Oh likes. no! Don't yeah. don't seriously ignore everything we do because none of this <laughs> should exist. No, it doesn't exist. It does not exist. We do not exist. We do not want to exist. Very honored for us, sees. Hermetic Cyber Guild. Greatly honored Fratter. England. I didn't say that. Not Don't that. give me that. That's well, you fair. threw it at me first, man. You dropped the VH on me, I dropped the DHW dum. <laughs> Come on, next paragraph. Come on, we next paragraph. Oh yeah, we're we're on a roll, right? We're on a roll reading the story. We're on a roll. Okay. So I'm gonna add some echo into this because I think that's some crazy weirdness. Where did we get to? We got up to, um, oh yeah. At 12, I'd gone from a happy, sporty young boy to a fat eyeliner-wearing black-clad goth in junior high. I wanted to die. I read Anne Rice novels, played Dungeons & Dragons, joined Vampire the Masquerade acting clubs, and hated that none of the girls at school liked me now that I didn't play sports and had long, creepy black hair. Life sucked. The next um, section is entitled Two Witches and the Firestorm of God. Yeah, I'll read that. It's so weird to read you, hear you reading my words in your voice. <laughs> well, I'm adding echo to it, so that's why I'm emphasizing some of the titles. You cut out the echo. I don't want to echo. Oh, we won't do any more. Two so, Witches and the Firestorm of God. Then my mom got this boyfriend. My sister hated him. Mm. That did not work out well for her. Because he was married to a woman in the Okanagan, slept with my mom while he was in town working on his tugboat. That was in the Georgia Strait of Vancouver, British Columbia. His name was Bill Chubb, and he was a witch. You know, his wife happened to be one of the top-ranking members of Amwork. You can't hear the sound? She can't hear but the But that's sound. not relevant. Um, okay, because we're simultaneously... 
recording this on uh, um, YouTube and anyway live. So. You can go to go to YouTube. Go to YouTube forward slash eloquent. Oh right, she can't hear any sound. Anyway, carry on, bud. Tell her to turn on the sound of her phone. <laughs> um, I'm just being a dick. His name was Bill Chubb. He was in English. We were all eating on Donair kebabs at the Lonsdale Key Market when he told, when I was told this. But you're a guy, I said. He said, men can be witches. Mom smiled, amused. My mind raced through volumes of D&D material, fantasy literature, and other readings I'd done. Aren't you a, like a warlock then? I asked. He, I had just turned 12. I loved playing magicians, and me and my best friend Dan Klein used to sit awake for hours wishing that a portal would open and take us away to a world where schools of magic existed and we could all wear robes and cast spells. Mm. That would be so cool. No, no. Which covens, which covers both genders? Bill said. You can also use the word, use the word Wiccan, he told me. Wiccan. Wiccan. Maybe when you come to the Okanagan this summer, you can meet me and I'll take you to my Wiccan friend's occult bookstore. These guys were all trained by Scott Cunningham. Mm-hmm. I'd stop listening, as kids do, lost again in my imagination. That would be lovely, Bill. I could see what astrology books he has, my mom, who was a professional astrologer, said. She was super sweet. She was the nice mom amongst my friends, the mom that brought us anything we wanted for dinner and treats and never told us to go to bed. We'd stay up all night role-playing, watching movies, or playing Super Nintendo. I emerged from thought and said, Bill? He said, yes. So are spells real? Do they actually exist? Do they work? Mm. Bill laughed, an old man's laugh. He was 64, I think. They sure do work, he smiled. I think Bill's cast many spells, my mom added. Really? Have you? My wide-eyed youth had just to find out. This was the year for most kids when you stopped believing in fairies and magic and all that stuff. And here was this old, strong, reliable man, a sea man, telling me he was a witch, a magician who cast spells they were real, and they worked. Well, I can tell you what I did. I ran straight to the game store and looked for a role-playing or fantasy book that would confirm everything you said, and I found it. It was called Mage the Ascension by White Wolf Publishing. Mm-hmm. In it, I read about Alistair Crowley and other people, it said, who were magicians that really existed. The game was based on that, real magic, and it was still a game. So I played it. Can you all hear us? Who cares? Fuck them. It's your audience. I never told them anything about what Bill had said about spells and real magic and witches actually existing. I was still often depressed. We would come home from school and my mom would tell us Bill was coming over that night and our father was on his way to pick us up. We would cry and scream. Dad treated us like shit and his new wife treated us with hate. Going to their house was like going to a dungeon with monsters and wraiths and having no vorpal sword or magic spells to protect ourselves. I would cry myself to sleep wishing that a portal would open. A black-clad man would step through telling me I was special and telling me to take him to his Academy of the Arcane where I would master the powerful art of magic. That year, Daniel's parents separated too. 
and he no longer looked at me with pity. He who had remained fit and sporty while I had since the divorce grown, grown fat and feeble, my only validation came from fencing class, which I was the best at. Now he too was unhappy, but that didn't make me glad. It just meant we were gamed even more. We became like brothers, and everyone saw that. Neither of us had believed in God. Why would we? We hated Christians. They were weak followers, sheep of some puritanical man in the clouds who ruled with his book of Ten Commandments. Jesus was his weak caretaker, so powerful, powerless he was killed by mere soldiers, and his worshippers were hypocritical suburb suburbanites, eating and drinking while the rest of the world starved. This was what we thought. Hey, we were almost 13. Then we, I found God. Then you found God. We went that summer to the Okanagan, camping in Penticton, British Columbia RV Park. It was the most extravagant holiday our single mother could afford. We all lounged and around and read. Even my little sister was getting into vampire stories because of me. The next day we planned to meet my mom's friend Bill and to go to his witch's friend's bookstore. This was the year of the 1993 forest fires, and we saw them that night. Infernos raced like hellfire along the ridges, through the dried-out pines and evergreens, laying waste and burning hundreds of houses. Hundreds, hundreds of houses. Wow. Hours after hour of evacuation. This was what I knew at the time. I stood in the streets with hundreds of people we'd eaten at Pizza Hut with no idea was that the world was a scourging inferno around us all throughout the mountains and throughout the valley. Here's what Wikipedia records for that day and night. On August 16, 2003, a wildfire was started by a lightning strike near Rattlesnake Island in the Okanagan Mountain Park in British Columbia, Canada. The wildfire was fueled by a constant wind and one of the driest summers in the past decade. Within a few days, it had grown into a true firestorm. The fire grew northward and eastward, initially threatening a small mount of lakeshore homes, but quickly became an interface zone fire and forced the evacuation of 45,000 residents and wow. consumed 239 homes. That's unbelievable. We were like 100 yards from the heat wave, and the heat wave was 1,000 feet. It was at least like half a mile away. The final size of the firestorm was 250 square kilometers, <laughs> 61,776 acres. Most of the trees in the Okanagan Park Mountain Park were burned, and the park was closed. Huh. 60 fire departments, 1,400 armed forces troops, and 1,000 forest firefighters took part in controlling the fire, but were largely helpless in stopping the disaster. My God, that's a lot. Crowds filled the street, warnings were given on the radio, and we might still have had to evacuate Penticton City if the winds had changed. I stood there from 11 p.m. until long after midnight, captivated by the flames. I stared deep into them. I could feel their warmth on the evening summer breeze. My skin tingled. I stared. Then I felt it, the heat, like a fire above my head. I closed my eyes and sensed a kind of pressure. It was growing like a ball of warmth and fire and heat above me. It pushed down on the crown of my head and my temples hummed. I didn't know what was going on, but it was strange. 
I stared into the flames, felt the heat like energy above my head, and knew something awakened inside of me. In a flash, I knew that this sensation, this fire, was inside everything, was everywhere, was it, whatever people must mean by God. If there was any mystery at all in the universe, it had something to do with what I was sensing, now in and around me. I awoke the next morning in my tent, and I said to myself, I want to be an occult. I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I didn't know the word occultist, but that's what I meant. We went to an old bookstore, and I found a poster of a magician, Merlin, summoning the demon from the inferno of hell. You probably know the one I mean. The flames reminded me of the last night. Then I saw the book called Merlin. I thought, I bought it, and I never read it. <laughs> hmm. Then it was time to meet up with Bill. We could see our mother's excitement, but had no understanding of it. Of course. Right. Haley was reading some horror novel for teens this whole time, which turned out <laughs> right. to be The Vampire Diaries now. That's a major TV oh, yeah, series. But this was before, this was when the books first came out. Mm. Yeah, L, L, whatever her name is. Hmm. Haley, yeah. Haley was reading Yeah, or playing Barbies or whatever. She was barely on my radar at that age. She was happy and gaining weight, too. We escaped to the Okanagan heat from the Okanagan. Oh, fuck, I can't read anymore, man. You read this. Okinawa? We escaped the Okanag Okanagan heat into the shop. It wasn't my first occult shop. Not that I knew that. <laughs> Not that I knew that. My mother had dragged me many times to a store in Vancouver called Banyan Books. It was a total hippie place, full of weird flaky people, even at that young age. I thought so, but I liked the crystals, large amethyst and quartz geodes and pendants. These awakened my imagination and would make me think of, think of Dungeons and Dragons and magical items. Bill was there and hugged my mom. I think they thought that Haley and I were just friends. Yeah, I think we did think they were just friends. We didn't know they were, like, shagging the whole time. Hmm. But, you know, he was married and my mom, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think we did think they were what just the friends. What the fuck? We didn't know they were, like, shagging I'm just the checking time. the sound. You're playing me back as I'm talking. <laughs> we knew what the deal was. At age 12 and 9, 12-year-old and 9-year-old knows what the deal is. Hmm. We knew everything. Bill introduced us to the owner, his witch friend. I studied his features, looking for proof in them that he was indeed a witch, and that somehow he would confirm that Bill, too, was a witch, thus fully proving the existence of witches, magic, and my hopes and dreams. The witch had long hair tied in a ponytail. He was also balding. He was not good at hair care. I remember thinking then that he must be growing his hair to compensate, and he needed scalp surgery and treatment. It did not occur to me at the time that this encounter was... Sounds so mean. <laughs> the ponytailed witch could be what led to me one year later, having grown my hair. Also being a ponytailed witch. It's the stories of the ponytailed witch. <laughs> yeah, it's sad. But that could be a song. That could be like... Stories of the ponytailed witch. witch. Oh, yeah. Whether oh, or yeah. not the witch cast spells, we never asked. Ponytail witch. Oh yeah. But he that sounded like a real crash when he We got that the down. stories of ponytail witches. We're gonna tell go. stories. Uh, brief kinda RC moment there. Okay. So whether or not the witch cast spells we never asked and he never told, but he used his witchery to captivate the attention of his two young guests. 
his little consumers like Hansel and Gretel. He memorized, he mesmerized us. <coughs> Into our hands he put potions in a tiny brown <coughs> glass files. And I have to scroll down a little bit more now. I can't scroll down in a way. I don't know how this became a podcast of us reading some... We're supposed to be talking nine, about... Like, a, this is like in a 12-year-old writing of mine. Hmm. No, no, that, no, this is like 11 years old. 10 years old? I wrote this when I was living at the OTO Oasis. Well, that would make sense. Right? Yeah. No, no, that's when she read it. That's when my OTO girlfriend read it. I wrote it in oh. 2007. Right. They bore na- These tiny brown glass files bore names like Psychic Potion, Love Potion, Healing Water, and they had little different colors. It sounds like Voldemort's type stuff. Well, can, you, can you imagine like being a 13-year-old kid yeah. playing Dungeons and & Dragons and people are like, all of a sudden you're taking a shop with potions named Psychic Potion and right. Love Potion and Magic Power Potion? Like, do you remember that? Do you, did you have any experiences like that? Well, I remember a guy that we call Voldemort now making things like that, and he, he would have something... But which, which shops all across the world sell stuff like oh, that? Oh, they do. Yeah, they do. It was really odd to see that, and it's like, how can that be true? Because you only see that in books or stories, you know, fairy stories and stuff. See, I think now we have the secret, so we, have, we know that there's a certain level like bullshit out there. That's true. In 1991, if you show some like 10-year-old kid a potion that says Psychic Powers Potion, they're going to believe they're going to get Psychic Powers. That's true. The placebo effect. It didn't. It didn't work. Did it not work? Mm. Oh. No, me. because I already had powers, and the, the, they didn't give me more powers. <laughs> Where are you at? Love potion, healing water, and they had little different colored crystals visible in the bottom that helped give the concoctions their power. I was totally sold. The next thing she knew, my mother had us both tugging shyly on her sleeve. She was busy talking to Bill in the corner of our astrology books. And he was introducing her to Wicker and literary greats like Scott Cunningham. Scott. Scott Cunningham. She bought a ton of books, including... Oh, what are you doing? Nothing. Talking around. <laughs> this is what Fallen in the Depths do. Uh, she bought a ton of books, including two that I'd found. My purchase of crystal-infused spell-charged oily potions secured. I looked through the books. Half-heartedly, I saw one in Love Spells. The idea that Love Spells might actually exist... Like Sandra Bullock and the tail Donovan. No, Tate Donovan. Oh, OC. Sorry. Any fans of the OC there? Tate Donovan. It's he was he was the handsome boy in Sandra Bullock's movie Love Potion. Oh, Tate Donovan. But he was also kick ass in the OC. Anyway. Love Potion number nine. nine. Was too exciting not to test out. With love in mind, and some of the pretty girls in my school fluttering on the edges of pre pubescent fantasy, I saw a gorgeous woman. It's true. <laughs> A gorgeous woman. I think she was the most gorgeous lady I had ever seen. More beautiful than any woman painted by Larry Elmore in the TSR fantasy art. <laughs> right. She was on the cover of a small, soft cover, pocket-sized book by DJ Conway, which was called Celtic Magic. DJ Conway's Celtic Magic. There we go. My mother came over and I asked her what Celtic was. Well, Celtic is what you are. Really? The young Canadian boy said, Yes, both your father's and my family are descended from the Celts. Your dad's family is from Ireland and mine is from Scotland and Ireland. But I thought Papa was English and that my cousin Matthew and Sarah lived in Yorkshire. 
up in Rotherham. They're still there. I just talked to them the other day. All right. I asked, confused, Papa was my dad's dad. My mother's father was dead. Shout out to Shadow. Mm-hmm. My, she looked at me. I could see her eyes gearing up for a complex explanation she had put off for a long time. Well, Papa's not actually related to you. Huh. He adopted your father after your blood grandfather went away. And Peter Madison, my father, who is also from England, adopted me too. I looked wide-eyed. <laughs> As though the divorce, as if as though the divorce hadn't been enough confusing enough. Now I learned that my aunts were her half sisters, and that both my grandfathers, Irishmen, had been alcoholics. Her dad had left my grandmother and drank himself to death. And about a year later, I learned that my father's dad, a womanizer, had been thrown out by my little Irish grandmother and moved to Texas. He started a new family from which I had an uncle a year older than me, whose first names were Baltazar and Shadow because he was born February 2nd, while I was born January 31st. And my little sister would soon be born February 1st, 1994, I think. This was all funny, quirky family stuff until 1995, when my grandfather shot himself in the head. And so, as my mother explained, we were immigrant Canadian Celts, whose forefathers were both alcoholic suicides. This all led to her buying me what I wanted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what it led to. It led to her buying me what books I wanted. So <clears throat> I didn't get mad or act distraught at our disturbing family history. <laughs> oh, God. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like the next day I was like, with a bag of potions, books on love spells, Celtic magic, and sundry other occultisms, we began the six-hour drive home. On the way, I read DJ Conway's Celtic magic entirely. <laughs> This is the beginning of the road oh, to being a full. This is the beginning of the road. Are you ready for it? Yeah. All the girls at the party. <laughs> We're ready. Okay, read this part. Oh, yeah. Where are we? Sorry. Lost it. It was the first time I read a book cover to cover. And by the end of the trip and the book, I knew one thing for certain. And without the slightest doubt, I was a druid. I barely spoke. <laughs> you were a druid. I was a druid. I was like, I'm a druid now. Oh. I read this book by DJ Conway. I'm no, a druid. You're a druid. Druid. Wow. Shout out to Angelica if you're on. Hi. We're Angelica. streaming on like seven channels right now. If someone's not on, then they're trying not to be on. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's an artist. I'll call artist really good. I'll call Sliver Moon Art. What are we doing now? Keep going. To, oh, yeah. Oh, you can't read it. <laughs> I can't read it if it's not in front of me. So I'm not psychic enough yet. I barely spoke to my mother and sister about this. I mean, it had to be a secret. At home in North Vancouver, I set up my first altar. I still have a photo of it and all my first altars. That's cool. Really. <clears throat> there I sat before my altar, a newborn druid. I described this in detail now from a photo on my lap. Even as I was developing into the world of magic, I sensed that the charging of an altar was significant. Intuitively, that some, I knew that somehow it reflected the development of the magician, druid, or witch. Of course, later I'd discover that the charging altar is crucial in the control and direction of alchemical forces in the temples of the Golden Dawn. A pentagram was carefully drawn in indelible black ink on top of an old chest facing north. On top of it sat a hardcover black tome with empty 
with empty pages and the words Book of Shadows in gold on the cover. A white candle in brass holders to the right and left at the top point of the pentagram was a bowl of salt with charcoal and incense, west a bowl of water, an older wand I found and carved in the forest, some pine cones, crystals, stones, shells and a silver chalice, uh, this product placement here, and a silver chalice with water. On the floor was an incense holder with incense sticks on the east side of the altar with a bowl of salt, another candle and sticks of incense. This was my first and most disorganized altar ever. It was the altar of a 12-year-old kid searching for meaning, identity and happiness in the pages of Celtic myths and magic. In the photo you could see Conway's books and the Merlin book I bought at the used bookstore and never read. I can't make out the three words of the author's name, but the painting of the bearded Merlin on the cover is still inspiring. Also in the background you can see the box where I kept my cards for Magic the Gathering. It had just come out, and I collected it in the early days. Everyone chided me for wasting my money on the cards, but four years later, I would sell a fraction of the $800 I'd invested in them for enough money to fly to Vienna and attend grade 10 there. The cards actually financed most of my goals up to the age of 19 when I sold the last of them to pay rent for the Golden Dawn Temple where I was living in the year 2000. Yeah, so from 16 to... Mm. From 97... 96 to 2001, I sold about $100,000 of Magic the Gathering cards. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And that's after 40% were stolen by some of my friends during my grade 12 or grade 13. What is it? People, 13-year-old birthday party. People are uh, stealing your shit. I mean, it's like... So Karen said that I have a specific placement in my chart hmm. that shows that I have the exact right placement for people robbing you. And that makes sense, so nice. you know. Oh, my God. You stole my hat. <laughs> stealing your brandy. No, okay. Read more. Read more, my brother. <laughs> That's that. We've got, we've got the ex-adept from Vancouver here who ran the order there. Yep. And we got the current adept from England in the house. In the house. We have adepti in the house, whatever that means. Fallen plus standing. Yeah, but you didn't really fall because you didn't leave. Yeah, that... Don't don't discount my flow. Yeah. Anyway, um, being an adept really means you have more responsibility and you should be more humble. So I'm so humble. Striving for. I see. I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> anyway, let's carry on with the story. You this was my first and most disorganized altar ever. It's the altar of a twelve-year-old searching for meaning, identity, and happiness in the pages of Celtic myths and magic. In the photo, you can see Conway's book and the Merlin book. <laughs> I bought at the used bookstore and never read. I can make out the three words of the author's name, but the painting of the bearded Merlin on the cover is still inspiring. I know I've just read that, but do you? Also in the background, you can see the box where I kept my cards for Magic the Gathering. And this blah, led blah, 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 blah. to a lot. Anyway, yeah. so there I sat, altar equipped, ready for magic, ready to go. Yeah, I just put out the whole altar. You make your altar, and you sit there, and like nothing happens. Because <laughs> oh, no. you just sit there. You make your whole altar, and you're yeah. like, all right, I'm ready. Like nights of badass and nothing happens. Nothing happens. I don't know what I expected to happen. Flames to roar up around me, eyes of demons held back by my magical might staring out from the shadows of Hades, even angels or fairies to appear before my eyes and hail me as the druid I had decided now to be. At the very least, I expected the fiery feeling of energy in my body, above my head, all around me, like that night of the Penticton forest fires. 
At least that. Nothing. The seventh grade began and passed, because I was 12. (laughs) And I realized I knew nothing about magic spells or druids, really. Conway's books book was not a step-by-step, and so I went back to playing Dungeons & Dragons, Magic (laughs) Gathering, Final Fantasy III, The Vampire, The Masquerade, healthy young adult activities for a despondent, postmodern, post-divorced youth. Mm-hmm. When grade eight gradually started, the vestiges of acceptance I had vanished. My skill at sports slipped away. I fell into the depression of schoolyard ostracism, the misunderstanding of parents, and bittersweet condescension of teachers. So my hair, growing long to into a ponytail, dyed black, all dressed in black, I turned back to the occult. Rummaging through the books my mom had bought a year earlier, I found Scott Cunningham, Wicca, and the world of neo-pagans. This was not the historical nostalgia of ancient druidism that I had found in Celtic magic. Scott Cunningham was real and out and alive. That, like, out, that me, and out phrase, that's a reference to his homosexuality. You don't want to sound queer or anything about that. That sounds quite well, I don't want to sound like a queer or nothing, but I think Depeche Mode is a sweet band. <laughs> uh, I think Depeche Mode is a sweet band. Depeche Mode, personal Jesus. My own personal Jesus. Jesus. Someone to hear your prayers. <laughs> Someone who cares. You should start doing Depeche Mode. Oh, I should. We are now talking about Fallen Decks. We're now reading through well, RC's autobiography. Scott Cunningham had recently died, but him and his followers, the community of witches that Bill had numbered himself one of, were out there and practicing magic. Cunningham and his guide for the solitary practitioner was a step-by-step book <clears throat> and meant for people working alone, misunderstood by the ignorant Christian world around them. Yeah. It was meant for me. I was the solitary practitioner. I was a witch or Wiccan, or whatever, I was going to finally do it. It's dead. Who gives a fuck? We're back. We're on the main thing. I was going to finally do it. All right, the podcast. The whole secret world of witches, spells, charms, and fairies would finally be a part of it. And no one would ever know my secret identity or how cool I was. Mm. Then, then, I was discovered... Mm-hmm. You Get it? I was discovered, so we're still live. You ready? I was discovered. We're still live on the podcast. We just lost. So let's let's do alternating voices. Okay. Where are we? Oh, the top. Yeah. No, I hit him. I did. See, I have a plus four because my dexterity as well as a plus two for surprise, and it's a plus two dice. Like it's such a g- Okay, David. <laughs> Your little girl hit the ogre with the dagger. Roll your d4 damage, Daniel said patronizingly. Four, David cried victoriously. Okay, you do four damage. Great. John, what do you do? No, no, my dexterity adds to the damage, Daniel, and so does the surprise and the dagger's plus. (laughs) Great. You do eight damage, Dave. No, I do twelve, David proclaimed. What? That's ridiculous, Dan said. You can't do 12 damage with a knife, and you're a 13-year-old girl in a fucking dress. David looked upset. Fine. Dave, you do 12 damage. The ogre has 64 points. It's not going to make a difference, all right? 
<laughs> David looked upset and stood. I'm going to get a Coke. When he returned, he stood around while John... A Coke. A Coke. Not yeah, Coke. No. Stood around while John, Jason and I killed off Daniel's ogre. Which, to be fair to David, was a little high-powered for an ogre. I didn't even realise I'd left the top drawer of my dresser open. I always shut it fully. Inside was my underwear and various other unmentionable things and all the occult books on wicker and magic. David saw them. Hey, what's this? He interrupted. He reached in and pulls out Scott Cunningham's guide for the solitary practitioner. I didn't know you were into wicker, he says to me. Ah, yeah, sort of. For like a while now. How do you know about it, I asked. Because I was so like, as far as like, how the fuck do you know about this? Like, <laughs> I was like, how did you know about Wicca mm. and real magic? We're just playing D&D here, motherfucker. Wow. And uh, I, so, and he's like, he was like, my mom was into it. His mom's a Calgary police officer. Oh, really? This he's is like, my mom, this is David Gill. He's a lawyer oh, now. Oh, right. And, you know, we used to do a lot of group sex stuff together. Hmm. hmm. Calgary. Really, I'm <laughs> impressed. And surprised. <laughs> then Daniel speaks up. Yeah, my mum's into it too. She worked with Starhawk and done the spiral dance a few times. The Wiccan author Margot Adler stayed with us once. Yeah, that's Dan England. Wow, he's just full yeah. of ego, this guy. Oh, yeah. She brought some guy with her who chanted the late night into our basement. I didn't know any of the stuff they were talking about. Starhawk, spirals, chanting. My gamer friends were more informed about Wicca than me, and I was supposed to be the witch. In the following months, my seriousness became evident. Daniel and I talked and decided to create a coven. I need to put the echo on it. A coven! <laughs> that does echo on the podcast. Do it. We needed a third person at least and found a classmate of his. We attended different schools, his public, mine private, who wanted to cast spells to enhance his sexual power and make girls have sex with him. Yeah, no, so, so like, here's the thing. All the early magicians I worked with, like, in the grade, mm. like, a high school level, the, all they ever really talked about was, like, getting laid. So I was, like, I was really happy that I had the access to uh, men who wanted to neo-pagan rituals and stuff like that in the early 90s. But they were all pretty much only focused on getting laid or increasing their sexual, it was all sex stuff. Right. It wasn't like I was the only one I thought who, I think who was interested in spiritual transformation or like development of the soul into the mystery. So alchemy mm. in, a, in a strict sense. They, they all just were like Dave French was like, I'm going to be the best musical theater guy and sing a lot of Trent Reznor like songs in the 90s and get lots of sex. And Daniel Klein was like, I'm going to have sexual potency of sex. And both of these guys, are, well, teenage boys, right? They're teenage boys, and I just I just wasn't one of them. But it was nice to have a bunch of guys I could do Wicca stuff with. Yeah. Who would go into the forest and freeze their hands off. Like, you're pouring Wick and candle wax on your hands mm. in the middle of the night on a Halloween night yeah. so that your fingers don't get too cold. You're pouring hot wax no, on your hands. That. Nice to do that. While you're <laughs> chanting. Because you're chanting. You're like We're like, oh, let's do a six-hour chant in the middle of the forest mm. on Halloween night when we're 13, 14 years old. That sounds creepy, you know, so we would do that. Where, where, are you, where are you at now? Um, Starhawk and stuff like that. Um, and you were supposed to be the witch. In the following months, my seriousness became evident. 